we are uh, going to do something a little bit differently. We've been in the book of Matthew for a while, and um, we're going to pause today on Matthew. I wanted to take advantage and share a little bit um, about what happened last week in services, and then also it's exactly a month since the entire of the team has been back from the Philippines. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to pause on, um, on Matthew today, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about this, and then actually we're going to start a series next week building up to Easter, and we're going to talk about something pretty specific. I'm excited about that. We will be in and out of Matthew and some other books as well. Um, but where we are today is, is actually I wanted, if I could just take you to a story that most of you have probably known, and we're going to talk about this, and then I'm going to invite a few people from the, the team of the Philippines up here to talk about that as well. But... Um, I wanted, before I talk about that, I wanted to just share this story out of Luke. It's something that most of you have heard. It's something that most of you have, have, have understood. And, and for me, it changed dramatically when I was in Israel, when I got to sit in this traditional site of the Good Samaritan. Obviously, it was somewhere between the road of Jerusalem and Jericho. And if, if you're in Israel, Jerusalem is at, at 2,500 feet above sea level. Everything else around it, no matter which direction you go, is down. And so, so there's always this idea of going up to Jerusalem. And, and they have this traditional site, and I was able to do communion at this little traditional site around the Good Samaritan, and, and the pastor that was leading us, it was just a really, really awesome experience, and he kind of just shared, like, how, how amazing is it that we were going to do communion here in, in around this story of the Good Samaritan, and actually, what we're going to do at the end of service today is we're going to take communion as well in that, but if you know this story, it's, it's interesting because there's this question that comes to Jesus from this, from this lawyer, it says the lawyer, it's an expert in the law. Described. This guy would have known the Mosaic Law and the Rabbi Law perfectly. And so he's coming to test Jesus. Now, the word test in this story in Luke 10, it's not, it's not necessarily um, a, a, an evil desire question. This word test can be a neutral thing. We know that his, his motive was maybe a little bit more negative because of his follow-up question and what, the, what Luke does for us in, in narrating this for us. But this, 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 teach, this, this rabbi, this, this lawyer comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inher- inherit eternal life? This life that we talk about, what must I do? And Jesus just asked this question, well, what, is, what does the law say? And so, so the, the rabbi, or this lawyer, says it perfectly, you know, it says to love the Lord your God with all your, mind, with all your strength, your heart, your mind, your soul, to, like, to do that with everything and your neighbor as yourself. Just by the way, for, for what it's worth, um, that's where the 22 out of revolution came from. Um, because I got to Matthew and found it in Matthew 22 before I found it in Luke 10. So instead of Revolution 10, it's Revolution 22. No, that, that's the point of 22 is that we want to love God with every bit of aspect of who we are, our strength, our mind, our soul, the center of everything, and we're going to love him in that way. And because of that love for him, we're going to be able to love our neighbor as ourself. And so this is this, this, is this, this story, and Jesus is like, well, that's correct. He's like, and, and then the lawyer says something that I don't think any of us would say, but he, he justifies himself. He's like, well, I've done that. I've done all that. But the way he justifies himself is he pulls up this follow-up question. He goes, well, who, who's my neighbor? He doesn't say, oh, okay, like, the love of God. Like, it, in his mind, it's like, I've done that. I've loved God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like, I got that down, which I feel like most of us would say we don't have that down. And honestly, it's probably why he messed up by asking this follow-up question. And so he asks this follow-up question and says, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to justify himself is what we get out of Luke. Justify himself. Like, I'm going to justify myself. Well, who's my neighbor? Who do I really have to love? Like, like is, and, and most of the time, the neighbor to a Jewish person would have meant that these are, my, these are the Jews that are, that are Abraham's children. That's my neighbor. Those are who I love. Not outside of that. Definitely not outside of that. And I think that's why we get the answer that we get from Jesus. And so I'll pick it up in verse 30, and then we'll just talk about it for a second and apply it to where 
we are as a church. Jesus replies to him, so who is desiring to justify himself? He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, just so you guys know, that was a common occurrence. So this, this, this little narrative that Jesus, this parable that Jesus is telling is something that most of them would have understood. There were dangerous passageways, dangerous ways to getting to and from one place to the other. In fact, a lot of times going through Jericho from Galilee was a longer trip, but they would go that way because it was a little bit safer to hit Jerusalem than the other ways. And so this was a common thing. Say, okay, someone fell, got beat up. The, the guy's left half dead, not half alive, half dead. I don't know what that, how that looks, you know. I'm not dead yet. No, just kidding. Um, anyways, he's half dead. And, and that's important because the two people, the two characters that Jesus talks about coming and passing by, if he was presumed dead, they by their law could not have touched this individual, could not have helped them. And so, so he says that he's half dead. Now by chance, you know, just happens to happen, a, a priest was going down. Now priest was coming from Israel, it's, or Jerusalem. It's also safe to say that the man coming from Jerusalem was Jewish as well because he was coming from Jerusalem. So this is, this, that's a safe bet. So he's, this priest is coming down, and this priest is, is his job is in the, in, the, in the temple. He does the sacrifice. He's all about it. He has to be ceremonial clean. He can't touch blood of someone else, and so he sees this person and passes along the other side. And so, in essence, he's justifying himself, going, I don't need to help this person because, well, I would ruin my position. And i got to do some other stuff in the synagogue, and i got to work in the temple. Like, I'm ceremonial clean. And so just, just after, then a Levite. Now, Levite would have been someone that would have helped in the system with the priest. It was someone just below him, but essentially would have helped. It had to have been their own version of clean. And he was, he was walking, too, and he, too, passes by the other side. And then... In verse 33, Jesus does um, something pretty crazy. He, he, he brings in a Samaritan. And now, just a, a little bit of background. Like, the Samaritans and the Jews do not like each other. There's an immense amount of hatred for each other. They wouldn't interact. They were half-breeds. There were these people that, that when they're in exile in the Babylon, they, they, they had all kinds of just mixed beliefs. In fact, they, the, the Samaritans believed in Abraham, but kind of different direction and, and, than we did. And obviously you've seen religions that have come out of that, and the animosity that's still in place in Israel that we see is, is a lot to do with this, I am a Jew and, and you are not. And so there's this, there's this battle that's going on. So Samaritan, they would not interact. They would not cause past. There was a mutual hatred for one another. Okay, and so then Jesus says, And the Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the, the next day he took out two denarii, which is essentially two days' wages would have covered a, a guy for maybe two to three weeks, um, and, and, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So Jesus poses this question back to this lawyer. And the lawyer, this, this kind of just to prove their, their feeling about each other, the lawyer won't even utter the word Samaritan. He says, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said to him, go, you, go and do likewise. 
And what's interesting about this parable is it's, it's kind of this, okay, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? And we, we know that ultimately for us to be in, in, in God's kingdom, it's a surrender to the person and work of Jesus Christ that he's done for us. But Jesus comes into this like, hey, if you want to understand what it means to love God and love your neighbor as yourself, then this is how it plays out. It plays out in mercy. And so when we, when we close down shop here, say we close down these Sunday worship services because we want to go out and be a part of these nonprofits, a part of these other organizations that are doing these things, what essentially we're saying is we're saying, look, some of these nonprofits are of the, of the Christian faith. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Some of these nonprofits are just meeting the needs of, of the basic needs of people around us. And what we get out of the Good Samaritan is a number of things a lot of people like to say, but ultimately what we get out of this is there is a, there is a posture at which we are to interact with those in need around us. There is this posture that, that, that if you are in this eternal life kingdom, if you are with Jesus Christ, then there is a way at which we are to act. And so when we close down services, it's not so we can just, so I can have a day off and preach and be like, oh, sweet. Because there's a lot of people here that can preach way better than me, and they give me days off. So it's not that. It's not even so you guys can go, sweet, we don't have to do kids ministry, we don't have to do those things. No, it's, it's so that you can actually be a part of meeting the actual needs that are present. And so we put a lot of energy and effort and strife into doing that. And that's why we wanted to talk today. It's why we held out on the Philippines talk until now. Because so often, and we're going to talk about the Philippines, and I'm excited about that, but so often there becomes this, this battle between us, which is like, why are we doing all this over in the Philippines and we're not doing anything here? Or the vice versa, like, I want to go do stuff in the Philippines, but I don't want to lift a finger here. And, and realistically, the point is, is that what the Good Samaritan tells us is that we don't need, by, by race or nationality or um, church attendance or um, nonprofit status or whatever it is, we, we don't really, th those borders are gone. And we're called to just be the hands and feet. And so I could go into a simple analogy, you know, the guy driving, you drive by the guy that's on the side of the road with the car broke down. I'm in a hurry, can't be there, see you later. But there's this, there's this, there's this thing. And I, I, I made the joke two weeks ago when I invited you guys out. I said, hey, this is a day to, um, this is a day to not take off. This is a day to invite your friends to go and serve with you. And I made the joke, I said it this way. I said, well, in all honesty, they're probably already out serving <laughs> and you're just gonna join them. And they're gonna be like, oh, it's about time, church. Thanks for joining me. And that, that, that offends me. Because if, if, we're, if we're the church, if we bear the name of Christ, like we should be front runners in this. Because we're not just giving someone food, we're giving them something greater than food, and that's the gospel. And so, so when we shut down, we do these things. When we, when we, when we in, interact in nonprofits or we do this work in the Philippines or why we do this, it's essentially us saying we are surrendered to what God is calling us to do. And it's not meet the needs and don't tell them about the gospel. And it's not some bait and switch like, oh, here's a, here's a cup of joe. Now you want to know about Jesus? Like there's, there's more relationship to it. It's why we had you guys have refugee families in your homes for meals this, this last time. We had eight or nine, I think, different families, different gospel communities and people that invited refugees from World Relief and, and picked them up and took, shared a meal with them. It's, it's meant to be more relational than just doing something for someone. The Samaritan went above and beyond. He said, hey, look, not only am I going to cover this guy now, but I'll come back. I'll come back. We don't know if he came back. We don't know if he, like, left him. Ha, ha, see you later. Totally tricked you. But our assumption is Jesus is, well, it's a hypothetical, so it didn't really happen anyways, right? But, but Jesus is saying, like, this guy's going to come back and take care of it. He's going to go above and beyond. doesn't matter if this is your enemy. doesn't matter if this is someone you don't agree with. It doesn't matter. Like, as a 
person that has eternal life in Christ, you are called to do it despite what you're comfortable with. Despite. Spurgeon had a quote. He says, I never knew a man refuse to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. And see, I feel like a lot of us have admirable excuses to not engage in this. And so what we wanted to do today is I'm going to invite, um, we have a few people from the, from the Philippines trip that are here today. I'm going to invite them up. We're going to talk about the Philippines. And, and the reason why I wanted to push, so you guys can come on up. The reason why I wanted to push on this is that, is that it's not a either or. Serve Sunday and, and do it once a, once a quarter. We're going to do another one in May. It's, it's not a, oh, we do this every now and then. You guys can grab these seats right here. We do these every now and then, and, um, and we kind of do it. And, or, hey, we should just send money to the Philippines and feel good. In fact, what we're, what we're doing in the Philippines, I'm just going to give a quick um, assessment. You're going to start, so we'll go there in a second. I'm going to just give you a quick recap. So Serve Sundays serve its purpose here locally. It's a way for you guys to get involved with so many different nonprofits that are doing incredible things. And what we want to do is saturate every nonprofit, every individual need with those that love Jesus. We want to get you guys rubbing shoulders with those that don't. We want to get you in, in, in interacting and serving in ways that they go, man, there's something different about this. I really, really, like, would love, like, if, if Revolution 22 died tomorrow, like, if it died, I don't want that to happen, but if it did die tomorrow, I would absolutely love, I'm, I'm plagued with the question of, would we be missed in this community? Or would it be like, oh, you know what? It was a cool church for a while. I had some fun, some okay music, okay teaching, whatever, like, or would we be missed? And what I love is that the nonprofits in this area, we're getting calls for, hey, next time you're doing this, would you be interested in helping? And that to me says something better because these are organizations that are looking to the church to do something. And the church has something so much more than just hands and feet. We have the hope of Jesus Christ. And similarly, what we've done in the Philippines, we, we, Jake actually was on the first trip with me and we, we went kind of with the assessment, what Dale, one of our elders, like, hey, what are we going to do in the Philippines? And we did that um, two and a half years ago, almost three years ago, and the, the point was to go and say, okay, how can we partner? How can we do something in another part of the world? Because the problem is, is if we just focus in our region, we can get a little narrow. We can get a little narrow in what we're doing, and so we want to have one area that we're just going to dive super deep, and so we went with Wipe Every Tear, and they work with taking girls out of the bars out, that, are, that are trafficked in the bars and freeing them and giving them education and moving there. And then while there, um, Kenny, the, the founder of Wipe Every Tear, introduced us to a church in Novotis, um, Pastor William and Mercy. It's a, it's a church that he'd kind of go, and they would do like hand out rice and move on. He'd just gotten a relationship through some camps he did a long time ago. And what happened is, is we realized that, yes, we need to be a part of what Wipe Every Tear is doing. That's great. And so we still invest in that, and we still want to see girls free from that. But what we found was in Novotis was a farming area for girls going into trafficking because of lack of education and lack of income. And we saw these two people that are just amazing people, um, Pastor William and Mercy there, that, that are just doing, like, heartfelt, amazing ministry and work. And we said, how can we partner with them? And so we had this little idea. In fact, Dale actually had the idea. He said, what if we did some kind of scholarship? Because if these kids have education, they actually won't go into the bars. And if you can get one kid in a family to have an education, it actually radically transforms the whole family. And so you can have this, this exponential thing happen. So we have 50 kids that we're essentially sponsoring, um, some college, uh, some high school, and then some elementary school kids. And when we go there, we go to spend time with them. We go to spend time with, with, with Pastor William and Mercy and say, what do you guys need from us? What can we do to continue to work here? And guys, I, like, I got overwhelmed this last time by the, the amount of things that were happening in Novotis by just a little bit of 
like faithfulness on our side. Almost it seemed like at first kind of flippant faithfulness on our side. Like, yeah, we'll throw some money at this to see what happens. And so much more is happening there. So much more. Like they literally um, are, they asked us to help for a graduation party. They were talking with Jake about a graduation party because, and they wanted to do it at a pool for all the students that graduated the grade. Um, and Jake's like, oh, okay, cool, the pool. And they're like, yeah, because 18 of your students need to be baptized. And I'm like, what? 18? And I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> yeah, you, you'll get your turn. Um, <laughs> and, and what we just did was, hey, we just want to see these kids get an education. And what's happening is their families are coming to Christ. They're coming to Christ. Their, their community is being radically transformed. The, the Goombas are trying to do church planning in other areas. And, and we're just this little small part of it that has really nothing to do with Revolution 22, but something greater to do with the fact that we're called as a body of church, a body of Christ, to be one. And so we are one with this church in the Philippines. And it's amazing what's happening. If you have not heard more about it, these three people and some of the people that are not here right now <laughs> that went on the trip and others, you can find it. If you go to our Facebook page, we have a 100-something, 71 pa- pictures of the, the trip. So you guys can see that. And then you can also take um, and, and bug any one of these people, buy them coffee, and ask them some questions. And so what we're going to do is... There's so much to tell about these trips, and there's so many different aspects of what we could say, but so it wasn't just this rambly, like, crazy mess that's already been from me. Um, We just decided to kind of focus in on a few questions, and so this last time we went, we kind of go with the intent of, Mercy William, what do you guys need from us? And they requested medical, and so um, Caitlin had approached Jake and I two years, three years ago, after the first trip, going, I feel like I'm supposed to go, and so we just kind of said, well, pray about it, let's see where it's at, and then when she heard medical, she's like, that's it, I'm definitely going this time, and and she was in and, as a nurse. And so share a little bit about kind of the, the, what the medical was and your, your take on that, I guess. Okay. Um, so <clears throat> Mercy had told us when we got there that they were expecting us to see about 200 people. And there was two nurse practitioners, and then Kelsey and I were the only nurses, and uh, Jessica and Aubrey were going to be our pharmacists, and <laughs> that, that's all the team we had. And that's, that's a lot of people for two days. So the first day we ended up seeing 170, which, and it was, it was fairly chaotic, I would say. Um, <laughs> very chaotic. <laughs> very, very chaotic. Say, yeah. the, the noise level, we were in one room, the church, just the big church room was the only space we had. We pulled a curtain across the middle and for what that was worth, I think it got pulled down like four or five times. And, yeah. <laughs> um, the kids running around screaming and there, there's no quiet in Novotis ever, or maybe in Manila at all. And um, so to try to hear, even hear what people were saying, to try to get an idea of why they were even coming to us, what their problems were, and um, the translating was interesting over the noise level, and all the sweating, and just everything combined was made it very chaotic. Um, <clears throat> just real quickly, out of, on average as a nurse in a shift, how many people do you see here? Five. In a day. Five. Okay, so there you go. That gives you an idea of the difference. Okay, sorry, go on. <laughs> um, so the second day, we had a little bit more of a better flow going. Um, we had a Filipino doctor who helped us for a little bit in the morning. and um, But by the afternoon, I think it went back to chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was still, I mean, to be able to see, we, we saw about 300 people over the two days. So to see that many people um, over two days with the staff that we had and the the teamwork we had was pretty incredible. And also, um, 80% of our patients, I think, were kids. I, it's just a rough estimate. And so the, the amount of parents bringing their kids in was, and I'm sure the parents had their own issues. Everyone had dental issues. 
but um, all, all the kids were sick yeah. pretty much. Awesome. And then I wanted you to share uh, your personal, you shared this story with us, and I thought it was really cool, and I feel like everyone else should hear it too, but tell us about Annabelle. Annabelle, real quickly, has two kids, Princess and one other that we scholar, right? I think so. She has two daughters that we scholar. She lives on the side of the road, literally. Um, in a, yeah. So tell us about that experience. Um, so Annabelle was there the first, when we first got there. She has five kids total. And the first thing I noticed about her is she, she was way more dirty and stinky than all the rest of the people. And almost in a repulsive kind of way was my first initial thought about her. And she has this way of, she's kind of shy, but she really wants to talk to you, but she speaks no English. So she'd come up and try to like talk to us in Tagalog and a couple of us are like, no, 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 we don't, no. We're not getting any of this. <laughs> and we'd call an interpreter over and then they'd kind of get bored and leave. And so then we'd be back to trying to figure out what she's saying. Um, but the, the second day of the clinic, I remember, um, well, Annabelle's daughter had fallen off of a jeepney, one of the transportation cars, and had bumped her head pretty bad, and it had not gotten taken care of, so it was a pretty swollen, pussy mess by the time we saw it. So Jennifer, our nurse practitioner, wanted us to uh, clean up her wound and wash it and everything, and I remember going up to her the second day of the clinic and saying, hey, can I help you with anything? And she's like, yeah, I need you to wash those kids. And I look, and it's Annabelle's kids, and I was like, oh, dang it, I don't really want <laughs> to touch them. But I said, no, we're going to do this anyway. So I take them into the bathroom, all four of them, Annabelle and the three little kids, and we're crammed in this teeny, tiny, sweaty bathroom. Yeah, it's like this big. It's really yeah. tiny. <laughs> and um, we're, I'm washing them, and they're screaming and crying, and as soon as I dump one bucket of water over them, they're all silent, like they had never had a bath before. And the more I'm washing them, the more quiet they are and kind of intrigued by what's happening. And I'm, the whole time I'm staring at Annabelle's feet and the, her feet are, are just filthy. They're almost like a caked dirt foot. It's just, it, I've never seen anything like it. And the whole time I'm washing her kids, I'm just thinking she needs a bath. She really needs a bath. And so we, um, we, come, we come out of the bathroom and her, she had stayed for a while after the clinic was over. And, um, I finally just was like, I, Annabelle, I really want to wash your feet. And I had to have an interpreter, obviously, because she's not going to get what I'm saying. <laughs> and once they told her what, she, what I had said, she's like, oh, no, 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 really very embarrassed about her feet. And I, like, pushed her, like, no, I'm going to wash your feet. <laughs> and I don't think she liked it very much. But I kind of literally <laughs> pushed her into the bathroom and just said, it's okay, I'm going to wash your feet. And so I washed her feet, and I don't think it made any difference, really, what I did, because <laughs> they were so dirty. But I felt like a change in my heart of, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's, it wasn't for her, it was mainly for me. It was for my heart that I needed to do that. Yeah, and I like that you, she asked earlier, she's like, well, the only word I can describe is repulsed, but I was trying to find a softer word. And I'm like, no, use it. Because in all honesty, like it is that reaction of, wow, this isn't, like it, it's that reaction of seeing someone half dead on the side of the road going, am I, am I gonna do this? Like, am I gonna really in, enter at this level? And, and, humble myself and get out of my own way and do that. And so I really, really appreciate that story because it was a, I mean, as her working conditions, you know, she made the joke about, you know, if we can't see someone, I think, I don't know which nurse was making the joke, but like we couldn't see someone in the States, they throw up a, a fit, you know, and we had to turn away. I don't know how many people were out there that you were turning away. We, well, by the time I had to be the one to go out the <laughs> end of the second day and pick people to come in and which I don't, it didn't, it didn't, wasn't hard for me to do that, which, 
maybe maybe the right person. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I go out there and they're all just so excited to see me. And I sit with William was with me interpreting, and I said, okay, who who has I don't know X, Y, or Z thing that we were gonna we had antibiotics for and. Um, we let like two or three people in, and then I, I said, I'm sorry, like that's it, we can't let anybody else in. And um, so William interpreted that, and they, like not a single change in their faces. They were all just as happy as that when I had walked out. They were so thankful that I had even spoken to them, and mm -hmm. it, was, it was almost just startling how um, grateful they were just to even be seen and not even treated for anything. We'd have people after the clinic and the next day come to the gate of the church begging for vitamins. Mm -hmm. That's all they wanted. Yeah. And here, like in my job, you'd have people begging for narcotics or you know, whatever <laughs> drug they could get a hold of. And that's a way different type of yeah. situation. Awesome. Thank okay. you. Jess, you had, a, and again, there's so many more stories. And Caitlin, I had a follow-up question, but I'm going to move to Jess just for time's sake. But um, you got to ask Caitlin when you get a chance, ask her what she's doing now because there's some choices she's made that are, that are different because of her experience there. So that's really good. So Jess, you had one big takeaway. This was your second trip. And I loved what, it was kind of about what was the center of everything. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Okay. Um, yes, I have gone once before um, and was just, I don't know, jaw, jaw dropped the entire time. Um, the dirt, the dirty people, um, the housing, Everything just, I just, that was almost my main focus um, for at least the first couple of days of the trip. Um, and so I think I lost some of the time that I could have spent getting to know other people. So this time going, um, I had seen the dirt. I had seen um, the reaction that Caitlin kind of showed. Um, and so that wasn't as surprising to me. Um, I expected it. I knew the smells. And so I was able to just um, be immersed in the people and to kind of catch back up with the relationships that I had made last year. Um, that was just awesome. The people there are so open um, and willing to share. And so in these conversations, um, I was able to get glimpses of um, just a really humbling um, of me. One one story specifically was, I think it was our last night in Novotis, and um, after the balut that we had eaten, we were all kind of in small little groups talking amongst ourselves with the Filipinos, and um, we were inside the church. And there was one lady there that um, we had not really gotten to know her at all. Her name was Ashley. She had been part of the team that um, had kind of hidden in the kitchen the whole time we were there, feeding us. Like that, there was an actual group that um, that was their job for the week, which is really almost disgusting that we needed a group of people to feed us. But um, so she was part of the team that was feeding us, and um, she started to open up to me a little bit and just said, Jessica, I just need you to pray for me, pray for my mom. She's in the hospital. Um, the doctors don't know if she's going to survive. She has fluid in her lungs and this and this, and she keeps telling me this story about her mom. So I was able to pray with her, um, and that was an awesome experience. And then we went home, or that she went home, we went to bed, and honestly, I didn't really think any more of it. The next day, we, we were leaving, and they came to see us off. And she, I saw her walk into the church, and she ran up to me and said, Jessica, my mom was healed praise God, praise God. And I said, what? Tell me the story. So she told me, 
this story about um, the doctors doing this procedure and they were able to take the fluid out of her lungs and um, she was still in the hospital. And in my head, I'm hearing this voice say, it was a planned procedure. She's still in the hospital. She's not healed. Like, and then just this darkness come over me, like how dare I take that joy and not see it as it is. Like Jesus made this happen. Jesus gave the doctors this wisdom to be able to do this procedure and to be able to just like take away that darkness that I was just letting come into my brain of, you know, she's not healed, she's not healed, but Ashley in front of me saying, she's healed, she's healed, and me just going, how, how dare I? And so to, to just see every single little thing that um, Jesus does in a different way was really uh, mind-blowing to me. Um, their, the conversations I was a part of, um, the way that they, you know, we passed out food and giving them a bag of food instead of saying, thank you, thank you for this food. They said, thank God for this food. And for them to be able to see, it's not us bringing them this food, it's God doing this. It's, we are working, you know, as God's hands to be able to take this food to them. Um, that meant a lot because, you know, just like that, that voice in my head, um, you know, that doubt that we start, we start um, thinking in every single conversation of, or situation where um, we could see it as good. Jesus, you know, her mom's still in the hospital that I've been keeping up with her, um, but she has so much joy that Jesus is healing through these doctors, her mom, and she has faith that she will come out of the hospital and, um, yeah, and you shared with me just that, just in the in the regard of the fact that everything in every single aspect of their life put Janet, Jesus at the center, and that was what was really kind of radical for you. So, yeah. in that, what is it? Just real quickly, what's a short difference for you in the last month, even being back, recognizing how much Jesus is the center of every aspect of their life? I mean, they just break out and worship because they want to worship. They, it's oh man. Yeah. So, what's changed for you here? Um. Thanks for reading me in, because I'm yeah. like, there's so many other stories. Um, <laughs> I just, I just that remembering that conversation, like she was sitting in front of me saying, "This is so awesome," and I'm sitting here going, "But it could be so different." And she's like, she, Jesus can just take her out of the hospital, and he's not doing that, and so he's not healing her. Like me remembering that, it might not look how, how we want it to look, but Jesus is the center of every single thing that we do. Mm-hmm. And um, he's got a plan in every single, you know, turn that might not be um, how you envisioned it, but he loves us and he wants us to, um, you know, put all the glory back on him. Like, that's what he wants for us. And to just snap myself back into a perspective of, you know, our daughter has a medical condition and the Jesus is is given us the means to be able to care for her. If we lived in the Philippines, I don't know what that would look like. Yeah. We wouldn't be able to be doing that. And she would probably honestly die. Like Jesus has has allowed her to be born in a place where we are able to take care of her mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. Putting that joy into my kids' lives. And I mean, it's just full circle. Being able that's to good. bottle their joy and take it home, that's our joke. 
If we could just bottle their joy and take it back with us, we would be a different place. But yeah. honestly, their joy is Christ. So we have it. Mm-hmm. We just are, don't use it the way that we need to. Yeah. That's very good. Thank you. Um, Jake is, is on the leadership team here. He's also the one that's been leading our teams on this, and he's going to continue to do that. Um, as long as, oh yeah, he got the job. No, um, and so Jake, I, I wanted to, I, from a couple different things, like I guess from your perspective, because you've been leading us there, is especially with the needs that are locally, why, why should we or why are we going to keep going back to the Philippines? So this trip was my second trip leading our expedition, mm-hmm. and it was my fifth trip overall. Um, but really, we keep going back, and we want to find ways to continue to go back when the time's right because there still is need. We're going to continue to go because there's need. Mm -hmm. And because when we're over there, like Brendan mentioned, um, we can see our efforts, we can see our resources just multiplied Mm -hmm. in this church, Fishers of Christ, or in Wipe Every Tear, or in uh, Clark Assemblies of God in Mm -hmm. Angela City. But this last trip, she didn't mention, and Caitlin didn't, but they wanted to provide medical care so we figured out a way to take a trip and meet the need that they presented. Mm-hmm. And while they were seeing 300 people, there were a group of counselors from within the church who led over 100 people to Christ. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so as we are obedient to use our resources to meet their needs, they're multiplying that like crazy. Mm-hmm. The education is a huge piece because it's going to hopefully break the cycle of poverty. We feed people food because people are starving. Mm-hmm. There's a level of need there that we don't have here. And unless you've experienced it somewhere else, like Mexico, or if you do inner city stuff, you probably won't understand the level of need. Um, but also, for us to go there and find people who live on mission and live out the gospel mm-hmm. to, to pour into, I mean, if it's a couple thousand dollars for us to go and enrich that church, like we're setting a church of 300 people on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's why. I knew. See, I told you it'd be your it turn. It didn't happen. Look. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think there is an aspect of that. Like, I, I mean, I have no problem telling people because Pastor William looks me in the eyes and says, we need you here. Like, we need you here every year because it makes a difference. And I think there's a healthy... Like even Jess joking about the joy, bottling up the joy. Like we don't want to idolize the church there because that's not the case. And I think there is a healthy relationship where they're not idolizing us. They continue to, every time we feel like, oh, they want, they want Revolution 22 stickers because they're, they're idolizing us. And it's like, no, they wanted them because they really have joy knowing that we're together in this. And you look at our Facebook conversations and the Facebook messages that they send over and over again. So. And we celebrate each other's victories. Mm-hmm. When they see our baptism videos... Like, check them out on Facebook. There will be, like, 50 likes from Filipino people. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. so we can celebrate yeah. together as one body. And it's their 25-year anniversary as a church tomorrow. Well, today, I guess. Well, what time? Yeah, it's today. In a couple hours. In a couple hours. So, so go on Facebook, look up William and Mercy Goomba, and say happy anniversary from Rev22. Everyone, do that. Like, it will bless them so much. Um, their 25-year wedding anniversary is in May, and they had asked me to come back and officiate their um, renewal of the vows. I'm like, I'm honored. I can't do it. But, like, that's the, rela- the relationship is, is beyond just, oh, hey, we're, we're a couple people, like, hanging out. Like, this is, this is different. So, real quickly, someone's out here. They're like, man, I kind of, I've, I've wanted to go, but I don't know if I'm, I'm in a spot where I can. I don't know if my spouse would like that. Like, 
What would you say to anyone that's out here that's maybe considering wanting to be a part of this at some point? I would say... Wait, it's the second part. What would you consider, and then what would you tell them to do now in light of that? So, there you go. If anybody in here <clears throat> were interested in what we do or wanted to talk about being part of it or just get more information, come and talk to us. Talk to me or Bren or talk to these girls. Find somebody who's gone and just start the conversation because it is a long process. We want to make sure that we're bringing the right people and we want to make sure that this is a calling for you. Um, but really, I would say like the first question I would ask is like, what are you doing now? Are you invested? Are you in a gospel community? Do you serve? Do you volunteer? Are you finding what you're passionate about and what you're good at because um, we want to utilize those strengths and we don't want this to be a trip that people wait for and go on and save up money for and we don't want this to be a milestone. It will be, but we want people who are going to um, come ready, like submitted to Christ's will for them, expecting their life to be impacted, but um, people who, who are ready to serve and ready to, to go travel to the Philippines, see some stuff that's really hard to shake, and, um, and just live out the way that Christ wants us to live, the way he calls us to. Love God, love others. Do that here first, and do that there. And there, like I said, there are, thank you, Jake, there's a lot of more stories, a lot more things. Um, if you can find uh, Rob or Velma or Jennifer or Kelsey or even Jordan, some of the other people that were on this trip, Pick their brain, ask them about it. Like it's it's really encouraging. I like I said, I'm dead serious. If you have Facebook, do that for the Goombas. G U M B A, William and Mercy. Like you'll realize that they're them because they'll have a bunch of white friends and they'll be Filipino. But um, tell them happy anniversary as a church. Like let's celebrate that they are. He has faith. They have faithfully served the slums when they've had every opportunity to leave there, and they just feel called to doing it. And so we're excited to partner with them. I'm gonna pray, and then we are gonna take some communion. God, thank you for. This time, thank you for the experiences. Um, thank you for what you're doing. Even the stories, like even knowing um, some of the experiences that came from uh, this trip are going to change every single individual for a lifetime. Uh, thank you for being faithful to, um, faithful to send us, faithful to, to meet us there, faithful to, um, to strengthen us. God, I pray that your hand would just go heavy on uh, Fishers of Christ Church. God, that you would just continue to move there that you continue to stir in the men, the women, and the children that are, that are following you. God, for our scholars, I pray that every single one of those students and their families would all be surrendered to you. God, I'm so excited to see what you're doing um, 10 years from now, what, what, what that little community is going to look like 10 years from now because of your work. And God, I pray the same for here. I pray that we wouldn't just be um, complacent. I pray that we wouldn't just um, go through the motions, that you would truly be the center of who we are in everything we do, that we wouldn't be so busy doing for you that we forget to just be with you, but God, out of being with you, that you would just spur us on um, into good deeds that you created beforehand for us. And so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.